I'm Ginger. And I'm Dutch. Alright folks, welcome back to another episode of Ginger and Dutch here on the Ginger and Dutch podcast. Folks, you'll be excited to know that I found him. He's back off of extended vacation. Can't believe it, two weeks. Come on, come on, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I had a couple extra weeks, or I had an extra week, which makes three weeks away, but happy to be back. I was actually not on vacation. I was working hard to land our next guest there, Ginger. You know what? It's hard work sometimes trying to figure out who we're going to get next. And, and I went uh, I went deep this time, and, and we're pretty pumped. I'm, or I know you are. I'm pretty pumped to, to have who we got coming on tonight. So let's not hold it back. We're super excited to have him on. Let's uh, cut over to the interview. Here we go. Enjoy the interview, folks. All right, Ginger and Dutch listeners. We're uh, super excited and honored to have uh, University of Wyoming alum, um, two-time PGA Tour runner-up, um, Canadian Player of the Year, World Cup participant 2013-16, solo third at the RBC, Players' Championship, big-time Canadian golfer, Mr. David Hearn. David, are you on the line with us here? I'm here, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, so I'll kick it off here with the first question. Uh, you know, as you're gearing up here, what are you, uh, what are you doing with your time right now? Where are you at? Uh, let, us listeners, let our listeners know where you're at and what you're up to. Yeah, actually, my family just got back down to uh, Florida where we live uh, sort of uh, most of the year. And, um, you know, we're just getting ready, as I'm sure everybody in Canada is right now. We're just kind of getting the kids all ready to go back to school. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, I'm not at that tour championship with Mac and some of the other boys this week. But, uh, you know, I'm just sort of at home practicing up, getting ready for that fall series and, and um, doing a little bit of family time right now. So it's, it's actually a, a pretty good time right now. So you practicing every day right now, David, or? <laughs> you, I don't think you've been to Florida in August before then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sorry, sorry. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a local club pro, remember? I'm not a professional golfer. I yeah. only get down there in the off season. If I, if I was in Brantford right now, I'd be practicing a lot more than, than I am here in Florida. It's, uh, you know, I'm getting out to play and, and I am practicing a little bit, but, um, you know, the temperature – I think the feels like temperature is getting around 105 or 106 just about every day. So it's, uh, it's a little bit muggy to, to be out there, uh, grinding away, you know, trying to be VJ right now, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working at it. I'm just not, not grinding as hard as you would be if it was a little bit, a little bit cooler out. Yeah. So with, you know, with the shortened season and I know obviously with, uh, with COVID and, and, and I do know that, uh, and I, we want to ask you this in a minute about you being on the player advisory board, which I think is a really cool thing for you. And, uh, it's amazing that you're a part of that, but, um, what's next? I, I know you're getting ready for the Safeway Open. I believe that's your next event that you're coming up. Like, tell us a little bit about how this wraparound's working. I, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no Q school this year. So you're kind of fighting. I know you're in between 150, 170 right now in the, the standings. Now that gives you some conditional status. Is that, am I correct? No, not exactly. So, you know, okay. 2020 obviously is, has been a crazy year for everybody. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, we're obviously thinking of the health and safety of everybody out there for, you know, when we got back and we started playing again um, in June on the PGA Tour, um, part of, you know, we took about three months off on our schedule. So part of the compromise that that the tour made was, 
you know, a lot of guys really plan their schedule around major championships or certain events on the schedule or, or what have you. Uh, the graduates from the Corn Ferry Tour coming on to the PGA Tour, obviously they had a different set of challenges as well, not getting into enough events to consider it a full season, like a guy like Michael Gligic, you know, his first year on the PGA. You know, if you were to tell that guy, you know, you're only going to get 12 events this year, you're not really giving him a full sh- a fair shake. So what right. the tour did, and, and I, I support what they did with it, um, everyone that has status on the PGA Tour right now will have status again next year. And uh-huh. everyone has good status. So, or whatever status they have presently is what I should say. So unfortunately, I didn't get into the top 125. You guys are correct on that. Had I gotten into the top 125, I'd be an exempt player for next year. But this is the hybrid system they came up with. The guys that fell out of the top 125 or the guys that were in the Corn Ferry Tour category, which I am, and didn't get up into the top 125, those guys all will stay in that Corn Ferry Tour category. So I'm kind of between exempt and non-exempt. So I I should see a a fairly similar schedule to the one that I had this year. I should, at the end of the year, provided we play all the events, I should see 25 to 28 events, hopefully you know, play well and, and get into some of the nicer events on the tour, um, you know, but uh, no, my status is, is actually pretty good this year. And um, yeah, so I am getting ready for Safeway and I should probably get another six or seven events beyond that in the fall series. So I definitely have a lot, lot to practice and, and look forward to this fall. Yeah. Amazing. So I w- just want to give our listeners um, a little, you know, behind the scenes look at, at what it's all about and, and get them a feel for, you know, the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour. For you, David, for someone who's been so successful on the PGA Tour and, and, and built their way up through all of these tours and, you know, right from Golf Ontario all the way up through, what's the major difference that you see from when you go to a, you know, a top-of-the-line PGA Tour event to, um, you know, a Corn Ferry Tour event? You know, what is the, what's the difference that you see or what, what do you know in your game that you have to be bang on with to be able to contend at the PGA Tour compared to that corn fairy tour yeah you know i've seen i've seen all the levels of the tour and i've seen how the tour has changed in the last 10 years as well i've been fortunate to be on the tour as long as i have and and definitely you know i've, I've accomplished some nice things that you guys mentioned earlier so certainly i look back and there's certainly some things i would have liked to accomplish you know and i still would like to accomplish going forward i feel like you know you can always be better than, than what you are but you know the big difference you know from what i see is you know, the guys that, uh, you know, it, it could be kind of a, a chicken and the egg thing. You know, you got a guy like John Rahm last week, you know, who wins the tournament with incredibly dramatic fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when I play with a guy like that, you know, I see tremendous self-belief. I see, you know, just this fire in his belly that to never give up on any hole, on any shot. Uh, when, he, when he makes a birdie, he's always thinking about trying to get the next one. And the chicken and egg thing I'm talking about is, you know, a guy on the corn Ferry tour is just kind of getting by, you know, they don't have that same self-belief, but at the same time, does John have that self-belief because he is incredibly talented or is it just the mind that's controlling that? It's probably a combination of both. You know, he's incredibly physically gifted. And then at the same time, he's got a great mind for the game as well. So, um, you know, it, it, to the casual observer, sometimes you might think, Oh, there's not much of a difference between a guy who's, who's, you know, in the middle of the road on the Corn Ferry Tour and a guy in the middle of the road on the PGA, I would argue differently than that, that, that there's a big difference between those players. And 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 you can just see it in, in sort of those little areas of the game. Um, it definitely, there's a big difference. Those those guys on the top of the platform of the world are, are definitely, you know, a unique 
unique players. You don't see them very often. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you, you start to see all these young up-and-comers. And, and I know, like you said, you've been around since uh, 2005 when you when you first started on the PGA stage. And, you know, I know you've, you know, I've, I've watched your game and followed you growing up. Uh, we're pretty much the same age. And I, I envied being, uh, watching where you, where you got to. And I know you're not a long driver of the golf ball, but watching these young guys, have, have you had the opportunity to play with like the Matt Wolfs and the Hovlins and Morikawa's? Did you play with any of these guys? Cause they're, they're, they're bombing it. And I know, you know, I know, listen, I know you're not hitting it maybe to where they are, but is there a big difference from where you started back in 2005 when you were with that Zach Johnson and the guys that were, weren't as, as far hitting it as far as uh, these young guys now? It's been an incredible change in 15 years from what I've seen, you know, as far as the, as the speed that the game has, has got now. And it's one of those things, you know, I think, I think just like every sport, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, like, you know, you always want to compare generations and, and it's hard to do. Um, the guys coming out of college now are definitely pushing the limits of speed and what their bodies can do on the golf course. They're obviously not quite to the level of those long distance guys, but you know, it, it's pushing there. Like the guys are getting as close as they can to still control and play the game. In 2005, um, I hit, I think I averaged about 290 five yards or so on the tour, maybe just a little yep. less than that. And I, I was actually fairly accurate that year. So I actually led the total driving. I would say it was because Kenny Perry yep. probably had a bad year, but you know, yep. I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to take all the credit in the world on that one, but um, you know, and then in today's game, you know, whatever my numbers say, you know, maybe I'm a couple yards shorter than that 295 that I was back then, but I know where I'm at as far as, you know, playing the golf courses. I hit the ball about the exact same as I always have. And the rest yep. of the tour has just absolutely blown by, um, you know, the distance that, that I can, I can achieve. And that's fine. You know, there's, there's a place for me to still compete and to, to find a way to, you know, uh, make, you know, make a living out there. And, and I still think if I'm on the right course, you know, and I'm playing my game, I can compete at any level, but, you know, I think um, like you say, actually Colin Morikawa, he hits the ball far, but he doesn't hit it doesn't hit it like a lot of these guys like Matt Wolf and some of these other ones. I, I feel like every year the PGA tour is kind of like graduating, you know, Steve Stricker and Jerry Kelly kind of go to the champions tour. You who are kind of like guys that hit it like I do. And then, it, you know, a Matt Wolf and a Cameron champ come onto the PGA tour and you do that for yep. 10 straight years. Then you're full of a tour. That's just like incredible distance. So no doubt the game is, is changed. Um, and I, I'm a little bit concerned that, you know, I've always feel like length is an advantage. It's it's no big deal. It, it always has been, always will be. But my my concern is, you know, a lot of these young players, and you guys deal with it when you're teaching some of the junior golfers. I, I really don't want the game to become so obsessed with that as as right. a model for success. And and I feel worried that we're kind of pushing that boundary a little bit. Like it might turn some of these players off that can't quite get that distance. And you know, eh you know, I'm the, I don't really feel like pursuing it any further because they can't quite get it. So, you know, I, I don't know. That, that's kind of the risk you run, but that's the where, yeah, that's where golf's going. And I think you're right. I think, I think the media has, has kind of gotten control of that a little bit and, and not force fed it, but has, has made it that popular as compared to not showing guys like yourself and those guys that are, that are, you know, not bombing at always 300 plus, but like you said, are out there and, and hitting good iron shots and putting the ball well and, and uh, I'm still competing on a great level, right? So, 
Yeah, absolutely. I, and, you know, I think, um, you know, Colin Marikawa is, he's got good ball speed. I think he's up in the 170 range or maybe just a little bit, bit more than that, which isn't crazy in today's game. But, uh, you know, it is nice. It's a little refreshing to see a guy like that come on the tour and, and who, who just plays the game so consistently well. Um, you know, it's nice to see a guy like that playing really, really well. I think, you know, I've said it to my caddy for years. You just don't see guys like Luke Donald come onto the tour anymore. Um, you yes, know, I think, right. you know, Luke Donald was a guy that was always the best when I was a junior, you know, Charles Howell, he's a little bit longer, but you know, he was also one of the best players when I was a junior golfer and, you know, but you just don't see these Luke Donald type players with smooth swings and great short games. Um, you know, you just see, you see more of this other type of player who just kind of tries to overpower the golf course. And yeah, yeah. it is what it is. That's, you know, it's a home run ball in baseball. It's, you know, it's all that stuff, right? So it is what it is. Absolutely. So uh, just a couple more here and then we'll, uh, we'll let you go. We appreciate your time. Listen, um, tell us a little bit about the advisory board. Now, I know that's a huge thing. And uh, uh, I was talking with uh, with our friend Craig Lockery about it. And, and he was uh, he pointed it out. And we were we were having a good chat about it. Like, that, that's got to be a big feat. And, and, and there's lots to do with it. And uh, I think that's a huge thing for you to be on there. What, what does it all entail? Yeah. So basically the way the tour is structured is we have like, um, we have a, a board of directors and then we have a player advisory council that kind of makes recommendations to those directors. And then they kind of make the rules for the PGA tour. Um, the players technically own the PGA tour. So we have a lot of input as to, um, you know, things that go on politics, if you will. And um, yeah, so I'm on the, the advisory council this year, which uh, obviously meets, uh, typically they meet about quarterly to discuss various issues. Um, some of them can be pretty petty. Some of them can be very serious, um, you know, dealing with, you know, retirement issues or, you know, purse uh, distribution, you know, anything, anything that really comes across the, the table uh, from sort of our uh, executives that run the tour. So yeah, it's it's a nice honor to be to be on that uh, committee. This year we've had um, a lot more meetings, obviously because of what's gone on with COVID. So I think we've met um, already this year about seven times, which is uh, it's been you know we've had the time to do it because we've been home. Sure. Um, yeah. But it's definitely been a bit more this year than, than in a normal year. But uh, again, yeah. just a unique set of circumstances for everybody. Right, and that's pretty cool. I mean, there's lots lots to talk about for sure with that. And you know, I think the tour's done a great job with with getting it back and, and being able to continue. I know there was a bit of a scare there when they first started back with, uh, with COVID and a couple of the boys having a pull out <laughs> and Caddy having a pull out. And yeah. obviously that wasn't the best news, but it's at least uh, we're back on track with the guys and it's, it's nice to see. Yeah. I, you know, I, the only thing I would say is we, we should try to get some fan noise subbed into some of the telecasts, you know, I think, uh, yeah. you know, like John Rom making that pun on 18 would have been a lot more exciting with some fan noise. That's for sure. So. How, how about some cut out cardboards too? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, they've done a good job and, and, you know, absolutely we're a sport that can, can kind of navigate this scenario a little bit better than some of the other ones. And, and we've done a good job. I, um, Hockey and basketball seem to have done a nice job too with sort of a more bubble model than we have because we can't really we can't really compete in one place for as long as those guys are. So sure. a little yeah. bit trickier for us that way. But you're right. I mean, when we first got going, we were okay the first couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden we had the travelers. We had seven players withdraw, and I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't good. We're gonna be we're gonna be back home here in a hurry. But uh, thankfully, the numbers have come down again, and we haven't had. Uh, 
man, I don't remember the last positive test we had. It's been a number of weeks now. And, you know, yes. we kind of are getting one here or there, which is fantastic. The guys are really doing a good job of uh, being careful traveling and at home. And, you know, I guess a little bit luck too, right? You, know, you can do all the right things and still still catch this virus. So, you know, we're, yeah, doing, we're let, doing well with it. And let's hope that continues here uh, through the fall season and, and you can get some events in. David, t- uh, tell our listeners about uh, your friend, your foundation that's doing great work. Tell uh, tell everybody what it's all about um, and what you got yeah. going on there. Yeah, so a uh, brief little history here. In, in 2015, when I had the great run there at uh, the RBC Canadian Open, um, we actually, it was perfect timing. We've been working on it for a while, and then we ended up launching that fall. So um, when I had a chance, you know, I've been on the PJ Tour for a number of years at that point in time. And so much of what we do on the PJ Tour is giving back each week to charities. Uh, all the events that we play on the PJ Tour benefit local charities and and we donate, we donate a lot of money every year through the tour. So it's kind of embedded in our culture. So a lot of guys start up foundations and, and I decided to do the same. So I was in a position where I felt like, um, you know, I could really contribute to something like that and give back. And um, Alzheimer's was something that had touched my family, a number of my family members. And uh, it was a pretty easy decision for me to kind of want to support a lot of those things. I had already done that over the years in my community um, hosting certain tournaments and trying to raise funds for, for those people in need. So, um, yeah, we started that up and uh, it's been incredibly successful. And in, in my opinion, it's not the biggest foundation in the world, but we've done all right. We're, we're creeping up on the million dollar mark here. And I guess uh, we're only uh, six years into it. So, um, yeah, we've awesome. done some, some great stuff and we partnered up with uh, our local uh, chapter of the Alzheimer's Society. Uh, so we're focusing more on the care end of it, not as much on the research, which is where I think, you know, our funds can be allocated and used a lot better. So we're doing what we can with our community and trying to find a good way to, uh, you know, provide those people who need uh, advice or assistance, you know, the best we can. So we're actually hosting a, uh, this year. Um, I thought we might be taking a year off, but we're going to do a little toned down version of our event here at the end of uh, September. So I'm excited about that. Um, we're hosting at the Brantford Golf Country Club. So looking forward to uh, another year. And um, hopefully next year we can come back with a little bit bigger bang. Yeah, we saw that through your uh, through your Twitter feed and that amazing stuff. And uh, and we appreciate uh, we appreciate you, you you letting our listeners know on that. Uh, good, good work on all of it. Listen, uh, one last question. I'm going to put you on the spot here, uh, and, then we'll, and then we'll let you go here. Uh, you know, you've you've had a you've had a obviously a, a very successful career. Um, you've got one one, and I know the answer, but I'm going to just say it out loud. Uh, one elusive spot that you've never been to uh, for a tournament is that uh, no doubt the the place you've uh, always wanted to play, or have you played it on a practice round? I, I have not been to Augusta National, and uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Well, I've been there. I've, I've been there the last couple of years to help TSN with their coverage of, of the, uh, yes, the yeah, broadcast, yeah, which, which has been great. So hopefully when I'm there next year, I can tell them, uh, sorry, boys, I, I won't be doing double duty. I'm just going to be <laughs> working away on, on the golf course. But, yeah, so I definitely hope to be uh, over a five-footer like Mac was there uh, on the weekend to uh, – to, to be there myself here real soon. So that's the one spot. It is definitely uh, the Disneyland of golf. It, it, they probably don't want me to hear me say that, but it's definitely the, the premier, the premier place. It's uh, it's unbelievable. So I can't wait to get there as a player. And that's, that's the one that uh, it's not going to be elusive. I'll get it. It's just a matter you, of time. 
You got it. We believe in you too. And, uh, you know, I've stepped foot on that property and I always told all of our, uh, all of our friends and everybody that's in the golf business, I, I, I think, and I'm not in the situation uh, that you're in where you're, where you're playing golf for a living and you're uh, living your dream out. But I always said, if I ever, uh, if I ever had a chance to play, I, I think I would uh, probably hang up the clubs for the rest of my life. So, so absolutely. Listen, we, uh, we appreciate well, I got, that. I got one funny story before you cut me off on that. Please. I, so, uh, so I went down there for the first time and you guys will laugh at this. So, I'm with James Duthie and Bob Weeks, and we kind of meet up at the uh, the media area, and um, and our producer uh, Jamie Rydell as well. So we we head over, and we're like, okay, let's let's go over to the first tee area. And I hadn't been on any of the you know the golf course itself yet. So I, me, like everybody else, I'm sure I'm not the only person who have ever done this. I'm walking <laughs> from the uh, the asphalt or the the pavement there, and I step onto the grass in front of the big scoreboard that's right beside the first hole. And I'm looking yep. down at it and it's, I know it's ryegrass. I know it's, I know it's oversea rye. I know it's like, you know, it's always pristine and pure, but I figured just because it was like a high traffic area where a lot of people are walking in and out, I, I had to bend down. I gave it a little bit of a pet just to see. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was AstroTurf or not. It was too perfect. And it, yep, was. it, it was grass. It was definitely grass. So I know I'm not the only person who've ever done that. <laughs> It's a, it's a it's a place of heaven and don't tell anybody but i got a piece of it on my uh on my mantle at home here <laughs> yeah you're not the only one you're not the only one but uh, i can tell you it's new grass every year anyway so it's it's all good i'm sure they're not too worried about it <laughs> yeah. awesome that's a great story david and and um we appreciate you coming on uh thanks so much for your time Best of luck here in the uh, this fall season at the Safeway Open. We're going to be rooting you on like we have your entire career. Um, we're just so proud of you here in Canada. You've done great on the golf course, great work with TSN, with your foundation. Um, huge fan from Ginger and Dutch and I, and thanks so much for coming on. All right, boys. Thanks for having me. All the best. Stay safe. So, that was pretty cool, eh? What do you think? Land on a nice, uh, nice PGA Tour veteran? I wasn't just on vacation i almost had to jump on a plane but due to covid i there was restrictions and i had to work my ass off to land this and i was pretty excited to do that so um it was a, it was a it was a very nice listen just to, to kind of figure out what you know a day in the life of a pga tour star and let's hope he finally cracks the cracks the barrier on the pga and and hits a win he's he's had a very very successful career you know i know he hasn't landed that first win but he's had a, a successful successful career and he's done a ton for his charity and his foundation and uh what a what a class act we've met him even like we said in the interview at our golf course um what a what a class act and i was so happy to have him on yeah absolutely great to have uh, david on honor to interview him canadian golf superstar guy that uh, we knew growing up um through the golf ranks and uh great to see his success and wish him continued success uh, moving forward so Best of luck to David, and thanks again for coming on. Yeah, well, why don't we talk about our picks uh, before we go to break here? Uh, another victory, winner, woo, Gagnon, winner, Gagnon, and just for the record, folks, I know I wasn't on the cast, but I did send my picks in, and I had Mr. John Rom myself, and I earned a few shekels in myself in my little bank account, so it was a nice pick. Well done, uh, Ginger. Well done, and uh, and the old boy uh, did quite well as well. Yeah, you know what? That's uh, we've been picking these things here for eight weeks now, and that's the third winner we've got. I've actually had Rom on both of his wins here on the tour, so 
I hope uh, our listeners are listening. We're on a little bit of a roll and and uh, putting some shekels down. I know a few of our listeners have uh, thanked us along the way for making them a little bit of money. So what an unbelievable pot! What an unbelievable last half hour! Could you imagine that with a crowd though? It would have oh, been wild. If they would have been, he would have ran three times as much as he did there, John Rom, when he made that putt. That was sixty six feet. It was ridiculous. After DJ did what he did to force the playoff. Yeah, what a great uh, great finish. And I think it's just a prelude to uh, what's to come this week at uh, at East Lake Golf Club for the Tour Championship. A little bit of a weird uh, setup with the PGA Tour now. Uh, you know, it, you're so used to this tournament being at the end of the year and kind of closing it off. But, you know, we still got a big schedule ahead of us. Uh, still got the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Still got the Masters coming up in yep. November. So yep. there's still tons to look forward to on the golf side here uh, for all of our listeners following along. But let's get into our picks. We're down to the top 30 now. So we're only going to pick a couple guys each just to uh, even out the field. So yeah, each... in a new format, right? In yep. a new format, right? For the listeners that, that aren't big, big golf people, which hopefully most of you are, um, including all of our folks at, at our golf course. I know they're going to be listening uh, this week after uh, we've been uh, pumping up who we were interviewing. So um, instead of the old school, they start with a score. So we have uh, the current guy right now at the top is DJ. He's at 10 under. Yep. And then you got John Rom starting at 8 under. And then the list goes down. Uh, Justin Thomas at 7. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head who's six, but then there's a bunch of guys at five, five, and it works its way down. So it's very intriguing. It's not necessarily the best format, but I think it's way better than what it was, where where you can't have the guy that's 30th on the list um, not have a chance. This At least this way, he starts at even par. I know he's ten shots back, but you know what? If the guy, if if the guy who's at who's thirty on the on the tour right now, he's thirty on that list. If he he goes sixty five, sixty five, he could be in the top five going into the weekend. Yeah, and at least it gives everybody a shot to gives win. Gives them a fighting chance. It gives just them a fighting, fighting chance. chance. Whereas before, it never did. Yeah, you would have guys teeing it up, uh, you know, a few years back, and there was only like three guys or four guys that could actually win the FedEx Cup yep. finals. At least now, um, it could be the same by Sunday at, at that point. But at least now, to start the week, they've actually got a chance instead of guy, you know, twenty guys just showing up to cash a check and play a great golf course, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so what do you got? I'm going to start us off with a guy who's showing uh, some great form here. He's right in the middle of it. I believe he's starting at minus five or minus six to start the week. Fifth place in 2016. Fourth place in 2018. Top 10 last year in 2019. Showed good form last week with the top three. And that's Hideki Matsuyama. Not a big name, not one of the big guns. But uh, I'm going to start with uh, Hideki. My second pick. Took the weekend off last week to get ready for this golf tournament. Love it. He's in, uh, I believe, third place in the standings leading into this. And that's my boy, Webb. I'm going with Webb Simpson. Love it. Love it. I love Webb Simpson. And it's funny that we're going to go off the board. And you know what? Um, A good buddy of mine, uh, another fellow golf professional, has always taught me something when it comes to gambling, whether it's for for fake or for not, and that's Brad Freisner. And he always talked to me about when you got a chance to take take a guaranteed win and nothing's guaranteed in golf, but to take somebody that has the lead, take him. But we're, I'm going against it. I'm not going to take DJ. He's got the two-shot lead. Sorry, it might bite me again, but I, I'm going to go off the, off the chart a little bit. I think Justin Thomas... It's only a couple strokes back. He had a real good weekend. 
Kind of flew under the radar uh, this weekend. That golf course was tough as nails, by the way. You go from minus 30 to all of a sudden minus 4, I believe, was the final. Yep. Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy different. Uh, East Lake is tough. We know it's challenging. JT always plays decent there. He's been in the mix the last few years. I think it's his year to win the, the uh, FedEx Cup. If I don't have him, my my he's not a sleeper because we already know he's won. He just won the PGA Championship, but... Colin Morikawa, after after having to deal with all the media stuff and kind of just flowing along, he's at minus five, I believe, to start. So he's five back. But my pick, Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas. I'm sticking away from JT and Rom. I know those are the favorites. They're definitely going to be the favorites there. But let's uh, let's keep them off the list. Uh, you did as well. Good luck to our listeners. Exactly. Let's uh, let's go for the underdog this week. Um, get get away from the big guns and uh, see what happens. So, folks, we're gonna send you off to break here. Remember, follow us at Ginger and Dutch One Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Thanks again to David Hearn, and we'll catch you on the flip side. You're listening to another episode of Excellence by Ginger and Dutch. The Devil's Advocates of Sports Talk Radio. All right, listeners, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little Ginger and Dutch segment there. As we always do from break, we're going to uh, get into it here to end off this week's episode. And we're going to get into a little NBA talk here as we've uh, finished off the first round into the second round. Got some uh, sexy matchups here. Dutch, let's take a look at uh, obviously the one that's near and dear to our heart first, and that's uh, the Raps and the Celtics. Tough loss for our Raptors uh, in the first game, got dominated. Yeah, they just look intimidated, I thought. Uh, they've looked intimidated with uh, the Celtics all year long. I'm not sure why. There's no superstar on the Celtics, but they just can't seem to uh, to step up. Terrible shooting yesterday with the entire squad. Terrible shooting. They, that's their own two now in the bubble against the Celtics. They're one and four this year against the Celtics, and um, I don't know, Ginger. I think they're in tough. I think uh, must win, must win for for Tuesday, which will be the day before we uh, launch the podcast. So let's hope that we can we can really uh, we can get a victory. If not, they could be done in five. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that the Raptors. Second tier players that you know, you're. I got Lowry as a superstar, but your your pals and your Abacas and even your Pascal Siakam, I just don't quite have him as a superstar quite yet. He's got to have another big playoff round. I found that in last year's playoff run, to me, Siakam by the the conference finals and the finals was the third option. Like it was, right? It was. Kawhi, it was Lowry, it was Fred VanVleet, then it was Siakam. Yeah, well, and Siakam's struggling right now. He's, he's struggled. struggling. He struggled since they came back from the break. He struggled. There's no doubt. It's clear. Everybody's yeah, talking about the fact that he's struggling. Maybe he's struggling because he feels like he needs to be that guy, and he's just not putting up the putting up the points and doing what he's doing. He's getting in foul trouble early. He's making tons of mistakes out on the court there, and they're just not. He's just not utilizing himself the way they expect him to be. Yeah, and I think he's having a tough time even being there from from what you're hearing uh, from the media side. But if these guys, these pals and Abakas and 
and that second level in the bench can't go up against the likes of of Tatum and Smart and a Robbie Williams randomly off the bench putting chipping in for double digits yesterday. Um, this is going to be a short series. Yep. Lowry's not at full health, health. I think we all know that. Yep. And I think the Celtics are rolling. They've been rolling since we got into the bubble. And this is going to be a tough series. Obviously, it's going to be a six or seven gamer. And if they can't chip in, it might even be shorter than that for the Celtics side. Yeah, and it's weird how it's it's because of all the stuff going on. Obviously, with with when they're with their break, then with the protest. With everything going on, you've got matchups happening all over the place. Like you've got Game One for Milwaukee in uh, in Miami tonight. They're uh, they're in the third quarter, and it's a tight game right now. I think Miami um, ultimately isn't going to survive that uh, that matchup. I think Milwaukee's going to take them down in in six games. I, I, Miami will give them. Miami's a tough out, no matter which way you look at it. But but then the other two series haven't even haven't even ended on, on the West. You've got the uh, you've got Denver uh, pushing it to Game Seven against the Jazz, which I think they're going to make the comeback. And what do we got? We got Houston and OKC KC. tonight, right? Yeah. I think Houston Houston finishes the job off tonight, and they they put them to bed. But who's lying in the wings? The two teams that we talked about that that started off terrible, but you got the Lakers and the Clippers just sitting there licking their chops right now. Both those teams, one's going to go seven games or is going seven games, and the other one, if Houston doesn't take them down, goes seven tonight. Uh, goes seven after tonight. So the other series is going to be two, three games in. On the east and and the west, semis might not have even started by now. Yeah, I I've never liked this in no, sports, I but agree. but uh, I like it a little bit more clean cut and and one round and but it, it does provide a competitive advantage and it keeps it keeps things flowing through. So that yeah. you know, especially with the time crunch with with COVID happening, so stick I get to the east. So stick to the east. Do you think do you think Miami has any chance of of up throwing, uh, of dethroning um, the Bucks or? I do. Yeah, I think Miami's. Okay. I think Miami's going to play them tough. Do they have a chance? No, but I do see it going to go. Going to go six, seven games. I think the crucial part uh, for Miami to me is secondary scoring. Uh, we've talked about it in the NHL. We've talked about it with the Raptors. Bam Adebayo, uh, Goran Dragic. Um, these guys have got to chip in and, and get into the 18, 20 points a night yep. to stick up with. The Bucks in the fast pace that they like to play. I think this series is going to come to down down to that, and it's also going to come down to is can Miami slow them down enough? Is it going to get into playoff bubble basketball, or will it get into playoff basketball where you know ninety two points, ninety three points is good enough to win? And if Miami can get into playoff basketball and not playoff bubble basketball, then they've got a shot. But if it continues to um, be the way it is, because Every game is one thirty-one to one ten, yeah, one fourteen to one ten. Like nobody's playing defense down there. No, and whether they're in it's a shootout. Playoffs, playoffs, playoffs or not. Yeah, they're in a shootout right now too. It's early in the third quarter, and it's, you're already seeing, you know, seventy-one sixty-seven. So it, you're already on that pace. I do think I agree with you. I think that if Miami wants to stay with them, I think you're going to have to see some old school uh, Detroit Pistons. There may be a fight or two in this uh, in this series. They're, they're going to have to beat them up. They're going to have to knock yep. around Giannis. They're going to have to take some take some licks there. So. But we ultimately if, have the same, you know, feeling that that it's it's going to be as much as we were. We've got the pom poms out for the Raptors, and it's a must win tomorrow. Um, I, I I see I see Celtics Bucks in the in the conference on the east on the east side. I, I that's I just can't see the Raps having enough in the tank. Yeah, you got to keep hope. You got to keep hope, but they are in tough, and and with Lowry not being there, it'll be it'll be tough. 
Mm-hmm. Um, let's flip over to the west side. I was quite surprised by the Utah Jazz taking a quick 3-1 lead on the Nuggets. I know those those teams were only separated by by one game in the uh, in the regular season. Yep. So it wasn't really much of an upset, even though it was a 3-6 matchup. When you're only separated by one game, that that's not really an upset to me. Yeah. I was just surprised that the Jazz manhandled them in the first uh, first four games, but obviously, um, Mr. Murray, Canadian boy, yes, absolutely dominant last night, pushing it to seven. The Jazz seemed to be reeling; they were arguing on the court. Um, it'll be interesting to see that clip. Clippers Nuggets matchup. I think the Nuggets match up better with the Clippers than than the Jazz do. Yep. Um, the Jazz actually, I think, would give the Clippers a tough go just because of their size. But um, when you look at matchup to matchup, I I like the Nuggets' chance of taking out the Clippers more than I do the Jazz. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And on the Lakers side, um, come on, how can you not want Westbrook back, Harden? Against LeBron and AD, it's is that happened. not a sexy West matchup? Yeah, I think that's Houston, what we wanted all along. Yeah, um, I think Houston takes it down tonight, and then and, and then you're gonna you're gonna have that series. But they're not. LeBron's woken up. Um, even even Davis is starting to, to to perform the last couple games. They're gonna be ready to go. That will be a tough series. But there's come on, you, you, this is this is LeBron James's tournament to win. And and he's he's going to be there for the showdown in the West. I don't know if it'll be the Clippers or not. If it's LA, LA, we talked about that about five weeks ago in uh, right when they were just getting ready to start back. But it's looking more and more like it could be a showdown between LA and LA. Uh, it, yes, I, I do. I think that we are eventually going to get to the LA LA showdown. But you gotta love the claw as much as everybody you know. And uh, old boy was on it last week. There joining us and. Um, talking about Luca, 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 but the steady Eddie, Kawhi Leonard, you look at his numbers in that series, yeah, it was the coming out show for, for Luca, but Kawhi Leonard was just dominant. He does what he it, always does. Th- you know, three games over 30 points, yep. um, triple-double in there, lockdown defender when it came to winning the series in Let game six. Let alone steals, absolutely. Like, he, he was just uh, the same old Kawhi that we knew here in Toronto, down in LA, and... It'll be great to see him and LeBron go head-to-head, hopefully in that Western Conference Final. So who ultimately, if we're picking it right now, who, what is your NBA Finals? Because I have it going old school, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson style. LeBron versus the Celtics. And LeBron wins one for Kobe over the Celtics. Bye-bye, Giannis. He leaves Milwaukee. A little bit of a shake-up in the NBA coming for 2021. But I think that's LeBron's to win. I think LeBron takes down the Celtics. What do you got? I'm, I'm On the east side, I'm going to go with uh, with the Bucks. I think they've been motivated by all this. I think they've come together as a team. And um, I think this whole protest and the statement thing is going to help them out. Well, you said major happenings in uh, in Wisconsin. I know we're not going to talk about it too much, but ma- major happenings with the owner uh, with uh, with Milwaukee, and they're they're getting to Senate with some of these things that they were uh, protesting on. So, um, yeah, maybe you're right. I think it, I think it did. I think it brought them together. I think I think George Hill and that vet, the you know the veteran leaders and the Lopez boys are going to you know they're playing for something. They're playing for a little bit more here, and I think I think they're also thinking maybe that. If they can 
have changed like they've seen with the with getting the Senate on some of these issues and and then go ahead and winning it. It'll just culminate everything. Yep. So I'm taking the Bucks on the east side. Okay. And hey, I just made the big spiel for Kawhi. So how can I go against nice. that now? All so right, I'm we gonna go Bucks, that. Bucks and Clippers on uh, on my NBA final. Raptors fans are gonna be pissed if that happens. <laughs> I just hope as a basketball fan, you know, I grew up on on uh, with Big East basketball, John Thompson. Uh, rest in peace. They lost a uh, lost a great coach. Yeah, yeah, um, today. coach Ewing, and and I think I want to get back to some old school basketball. One thing you know, every every sport, the the intensity ratchets it up in the in the playoffs, and I just haven't felt that on the bubble side. So yeah. I, I hope we can get back to that a little more. Bring these scores down. You know, 98-94, I want to see. I want to see these ninety four eighty nine games, and get back to playing some some defensive ball, some good eat good. Good old Big East basketball, like John Thompson used to say, and well said. Uh, we'll get into it. So let's flip over now to uh, the NFL. We're on our last segment of the NFL here, Dutch, and uh, we're on to the quarterbacks, the most important position in professional sports. They got the ball, hands on the ball, on every play. Top five NFL current quarterbacks. We've run down running backs and wide receivers. Dutch, I'll let you get uh, into your list. As I did uh, last week with the wide receivers, and yes, uh, old boy did uh, well in my absence. Uh, it's been I was a little shaky to start uh, during our, our our interview with David tonight, um, but it was a nice two weeks off, and I wasn't fully vacation. I, I did some hard recruiting, so um, I'm ready for the for the NFL quarterbacks. It's really tough to pick it, and I know you struggled with uh, with last week when you were telling me where you were with your picks, and you know you were you know 15, 16 down the line, and and there's no doubt there's 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 one, two, three guys that that everybody's going to have in their top five, and I know we're pretty close to all these numbers, but you know here's guys that I have outside of my top five that last year, the year before, wherever it may be, we could add all these guys up there, and you're talking from the goat. Okay, he's not in my top five right now. Now, I thought about it for a little bit, and I know I would have got a little bit of heat from the boys, but, you know, I don't have Brady in the top five. I don't have uh, Matthew Pad Stadford in there. I don't have Big Ben. I don't have Deshaun Watson, sorry, lovers, and Dak Prescott. I can't believe he's in some of these people's top five. And I know I'm a homer, but I don't have Kirk Cousins in my top five either. No chance. But So there's lots of guys there. So I just named off, what, six, seven, eight guys there. So where are we going from here? I'll do it quick. You tell me yours, and then we'll have a little rebuttal. So here's where I'm going. Still up there. I think it's an FU kind of year for him. Aaron Rodgers, number five. MVP last year. Lamar Jackson, number four. Sorry, he's not number one, folks. He needs a lot more to work on. Drew Brees, number three. He's aging great. Still has the weapons. Still has the tools. He had five weeks off. That's a little bit of extra time on his legs. My boy from the West Coast, Russell Wilson. Give him somebody to play with. All he does is win. It's number two. And, of course, the richest man in the NFL, the best player in the NFL, period, Patty Mahomes, number one. Yeah, that's a, not a not a bad list. Not a bad list. Uh, you know, I, I thought you'd have a couple of the Dutch Homer picks in there, but you don't. And and I thought you'd have a couple of those, um, you know, athletic freaks like your Deshaun Watson and and things. So I guess that's how you differ there from the old boy. But 
you know, I had a couple of those guys in my top five, and, and then I'll run them down and, and we'll debate it. Number five, I had uh, Mr. Underrated. They don't call him Matty Ice for nothing. Uh, Matt Ryan at number five. And I'm sorry, I never mentioned him in my list. He he was definitely, he, uh, he's on my board here as as that outside top five in the guys that I listed. So so you're right, I didn't, I wasn't forgetting him. I got Aaron Rodgers at number four. Okay. Drew Brees at number three. Russell Wilson at two. And Patty Mahomes at one. So we got one, two, three, the exact same. Correct. Wow, you don't even have Lamar Jackson after all that year in there. So we're going to debate that because uh, where, tell me where you got him. And you've got to have him in the top 10 still. I had Lamar Jackson at number eight. Wow. All the way down at number eight, I had... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Baltimore. Sorry, Baltimore Deshaun fans. Deshaun Watson at number six. And I had... Uh, I'm going to choke on it as a Bills fan, but I had Brady at seven. Yeah, okay. Um, here, here's my case. Let me let me give you my case for, for how, I, how I rank these quarterbacks. For me, I, I ranked them in the fact that I wanted to see a couple different things in, in the quarterback. Number one, can you make every throw in the book? Can you can you throw it from the left hash to the right sideline and have enough strength to do it? Right? Can you can you read a defense? Are you in control at all given time? Are you that Peyton Manning like where you can read the defense and, and make those plays? Or is it just you know, the play calls, the play call. You can see a lot of these quarterbacks in their development, they're they're not in control. They're not they're not making those audibles. They're not in full control over the offense. It's still brought in. That drops huge down for a guy like a Jared Goff, who who for that season, yeah, he had a great season, almost MVP like, but once the NFL caught on and realized that McVeigh's in his headset up until ten seconds and pretty much reading the defense for him. That, you know, how good truly are you going to be and how good are you, mm-hmm. you know, once they catch on to that. So that was kind of how I ranked it. I wanted to see um, accuracy was the thing for me, which was important. Protecting the football and just playing within that team dynamic. And that's how I kind of rated my quarterbacks. And yeah. that's, that's why I had Jackson down because, one, I, I, I haven't seen every throw in the book. It going into season you're three, you're right. Here. He can't. You're right. He can't throw that. But I want to cut you off for a second. You're right. He can't throw that. But but how do you not argue with the stats from last year? And 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 there is a reason why I didn't have him anywhere near the top three based on our guys because we both agree on the top three on all of the accolades that they have and all of their exactly what you said what they can do. They can not only throw the ball but they can scramble the ball. Although maybe Drew Brees can't so much. Uh, he's not a big scrambler. However, he's the most accurate quarterback going. Last year he was over. 74% accuracy before he uh, missed yeah, he's out. Yeah, the most the accurate quarterback in NFL history. It. But but Lamar Lamar Jackson, I want to go back to that. You know, you can't argue the fact that he had over 1200 rushing yards last year, okay? Um he's he's that Michael Vick-esque where with and he still had over 3000 yards passing. He had a, a he had what did he have? 36 touchdowns in less than 400 attempts. Okay? Or Correct. or close to 400 attempts. So do we? Maybe you're right. Maybe he can't do all those throws, but if he can make up with it is from his legs. I mean, you're talking 36 touchdowns throwing, seven touchdowns uh, on the ground, 1,200 yards rushing. I mean, he's he's 48 yards, 4,800 yards combined. He, he's got to be up in that Correct. top five. Okay, I'll give you all those because that's all fact and that's all statistical. Yeah. No, no doubt about that. But he's got the most underrated offensive coordinator in the NFL right now, and that's Greg Roman. Not a lot of people would know about Greg Roman. This guy is a run game genius. He did it in Buffalo for years. Who did he have in San Francisco? Nobody knows. Nobody's ever heard of him. He had Colin Kaepernick. 
and he had Alex Smith, and sure. it was that rollout thing. Remember Alex Smith in the wild card round, forty yard run around the sideline. You seen that run before? Yeah, because Lamar Jackson did it. 52 times last year, mm-hmm. and Alex Smith did it, and Tyrod Taylor did it. This guy is a run game genius. Right. So those run game number stats, he is just so good at scheming up the run with the, with the whams and all these different schemes on the run game. Yeah. Um, I look at you're you're a quarterback, you're right? And yeah, you know, I don't. It's not that I, I held it against you because somebody like a, a Josh Allen or Deshaun Watson that can scramble Big Ben in his heyday. That's just one more. That's a cherry on top of the cake when it comes to the quarterback position. That if you can get away from the pass rush and scramble and make plays and do all that, yeah. And that's why I have Watson up ahead of him. Sure. It's just I think Watson and and just compare. Let's compare those two quarterbacks because they are somewhat similar. Is Watson can make every throw and he can do all that and well, he can Watson also do also, what, he can also do the stuff that Jackson does running wise but he's just not schemed in his system to do it. But how can you say Watson Watson can Watson throws the ball better than than Lamar Jackson? Watson had the best wide receiver in the game according to your stats last week. Of course he's going to throw it better because the guy caught everything in DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe who who's catching the ball for Baltimore? Come on. There's no superstar on Baltimore catching no, the ball. but they've got a potential superstar in the making. Hollywood Brown's there. Okay, so they had a double-edged uh, sword at tight end in Hunter Hurst and Mark Andrews. And he was as accurate so they as he had, could be with the, with and they the had big some Andrews weapons. boy. Absolutely he did. But And he made all those throws. But when an offensive end. coordinator comes in and they look at the quarterback that they have, right? Yeah. They're going to look at the quarterback they have and they're going to scheme towards their strengths. What did Greg Roman do? He didn't open up the offense. He didn't, he didn't need to he, open up. He didn't he go. Where he was he go. didn't go five wide. Why do you, Why do you not think he went five wide? Because he didn't trust Jackson, Jackson's accuracy, Jackson's throwing ability. Is it? Is it because of him, or is it because of the players he had? Because and listen, I'm not a Jackson fan. I'm, I'm just arguing for the sake of arguing here because that's what we do best. Okay, I'm arguing for the sake of arguing here. If you put Lamar Jackson in with where Patrick Mahomes was this last year, do they win the Super Bowl? I say yes. No way. I say so yes. If, you, if you, you're telling me if you put Lamar Jackson on the Kansas City Chiefs and put him as the quarterback, and then take Mahomes and put him somewhere else, not a, no chance. You, so so no you're chance. saying Mahomes is Mahomes is going to win the Super Bowl, or I'm, you're saying I'm saying Mahomes has won the Super Bowl because he's Patrick Mahomes. Okay. If Lamar Jackson plays for the Kansas City Chiefs with all those this, weapons, with all those weapons, Lamar Jackson's they not do gonna, not. No. Okay. Well, we're going to disagree on that one because I, I think Lamar Jackson, if he had the, the the weapons plus his running ability, which arguably a Patty Mahomes can can scramble with the best. Not too. as much as he was in the first year. He's right. starting and to he's realize. Been, he's been yeah. injured, and you know everybody yep. can say that all the time. I mean, and, and just like Lamar Jackson, he's one he's one big hit or one uh, one ankle injury away from slowing down. I.e., ala uh, ala Aaron Rodgers. Okay, four years ago we had this conversation. He would have, Aaron Rodgers is my number one. He's up there, top number one. His QB rating across the board. The ability to chuck the ball down the field, to see the field, to to make the plays like a like a Peyton Manning, Rogers would have been my number one. Yeah, uh, Rogers has declined. Well, why is he declined? Injuries, no offensive line, nobody to throw to besides one, maybe two guys, arguably for the last four years. So that's kind of the argument we're always going to talk about when it comes to quarterbacks. I firmly believe that Lamar Jackson, if he has another season like he did this year, and he progresses just like our boy Josh Allen, who people think he's some guys that we argue when we talk at the golf course, some guys think he's 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 fifteen and down on quarterbacks and we laugh at them. If he can start to progress and make these throws and all the throws that you talk to, 
he's one too. He he will surpass the Russell Wilson, the Drew Brees, the Aaron Rodgers, and the list goes on and on and on. That's my opinion for sure on it. Yeah, I think I think you know it, when, I, when you look at some of the things, and I, I had in my notes here on the upper up and comers. I look at um, you know a guy like Daniel Jones, a guy like Kyler Murray, and I also have you know I didn't want to be totally homer, but I do have a Josh Allen sure in there. Should. He does have all the attributes. He's got a I don't superstar think now as a wide receiver, this just is, like Kyler Murray as a superstar at wide receiver. Show me that that's the big difference because both of those guys now that we you just talked about, they're. Third year, second year, right? Uh, Allen's third year. Murray's second year. Yep. Boom. They both have superstar wide receivers now. Prove it to me because I agree. I think they're both up and comers and I think they could get into this top five list if they start to show it. And that's the downfall sometimes with some of these guys. And I love Greg Roman and I love what you're talking about with, uh, with Lamar Jackson and the schemes and everything. But... You know, if you had a superstar or somebody for him to throw to, maybe he's not running as much. Maybe they want to keep him longevity, and maybe they don't want to beat the shit out of him on a regular basis because right now that's the only way that they could win. Oh, by the way, they also had a really good defense too, which everybody's forgetting. Correct, correct. And I think something that that I had on my side too was is, you know, can you win? And I always I always used to say this about, and you know it. We we'd argue this before is can you win? When your team is down or when they know you're going to throw the football, right? And to me, the perfect example of that was, was Russell Wilson. You know, I used to, even in his Super Bowl years when he was making those, those Super Bowl runs in 14 and 15 back in the um, back-to-back Super Bowls and they were one play away from, from being defending champions. Yeah. Is uh, he's got a great defense and they run the football. You know, he's he's not that good. They're just protecting him. Well, you know what? He has turned into be that good. Yes. Right. When they know that they're throwing the football, he can still win football games. Yes. Right. You look at that those games against San Fran this year when they were down. Um, there was like twenty-one nothing or twenty-one three at half, and it's like, who I don't know. And he's you know. Lockett's hurt and all he's got is Metcalf. And what does Russell Wilson do? He puts the whole team on his back and he goes down and they end up losing the game in overtime. But he single-handedly came back in that second half and did it for them. Aaron Rodgers. You talk about Aaron Rodgers not having the guy. Devontae Adams been in and out and this and that. And, you know, get me more weapons. All he does is is win football games with a, with a subpar defense for years up until this year. And put his team into contention. Bang on. And you just nailed exactly what we are going to say here. It, to me, it is about winning. And, and when we look at the top five that I have compared to your top five, and we're all real close here. If you were to... Because I, I know my, my name's going to be different. Because Russell's close to being this guy. And I'm sorry for the Patty Mahomes guys. Because we did say... I did say that he's the best in the NFL right now. But if you still, to this day, right now... And it might change next year or the year after. But my top five, including your top five... You took a quarterback that had to win the game for you with not their current team, but with a standard offense, no superstars, but guys that knew how to play. We'll call them your, your, your second-tier wide receivers, tight end, et cetera, et cetera. Good offensive line. I'm still taking Aaron Rodgers. I'm taking Aaron Rodgers. Second, close second, Russell Wilson. And then, of course, Patty Mahomes, Drew Brees. I'm not taking Lamar Jackson. You're right. He's not in my top five if it comes to that. When it comes to winning a football game, there's nobody more clutch. 
then Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and obviously soon to be Patty Mahomes because he's going to take over that throne the next couple of years, hands down. Yeah, I, I think you know what, and, and there's a there's a guy that I have at five. I think there that that's underrated, and I think that's Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. I truly do. You know, I've seen that this guy with you know 27 seconds to go with the ball on his own 30, and he throws a 20 yard out route, and then a you know a 17 yard pass over the middle down the ball. They kicked the field goal to win the game. Like he thought it was done and in the bag. Like. What more can you say? 38 game-winning drives, 30 comebacks. Like, this guy is, he's, he's clutch, and, and, you know, they're close. Like, you know, you look at Rodgers with 23 game-winning drives. Well, that can be skewed here or there. Your team's winning, your team's not. Is it tied? Is it not tied? So the, the game situations, um, you know, you'd have to take those individually. But um, when you start to look at it and break it down, Russell Wilson, lighter career. He's only been in eight years compared to um, somebody like Matt with 12 years and Rodgers with with, uh, 15 years. But he's already got 30 game-winning drives, 22 flat-out comebacks. That's pretty clutch. So I think, think, you know, we're splitting hairs on that side. I think you could really pick any one of those those top guys. You can can even pick Brady. You know, who's the most clutch quarterback of all time? You know, when it comes down to it, how many... Game-winning Super Bowl drives have we seen? Yes. You know, other than the the Super Bowls against the Giants, where he wasn't able to get it done, though that's the only time. Every other time, it's like, oh, here comes terrific Tom with two minutes to go, and right. we know we've seen this story before from two thousand two to two thousand and seventeen. Like the, the story was the same, other than two years every time. Right, right? and so. I, I think that's. I don't want to say that's the past because um, we talked way way back uh, about ten weeks ago about me. Even thinking Brady and the Bucks are going to make a little bit of a run here, but I think that's the past on it. I love your Matty Ice. Uh, we got to see him live. We were down in Atlanta. We got to see Julio up the or uh, Julio uh, Julio and uh, Tony G and the boys. Um, but I think with with Matty Ice losing that Super Bowl, um, I don't know if he's been the same since. Um, his his stats are okay, but he hasn't been able to to take them. Or at least get them anywhere close to that next level since the debacle with the Patriots coming back. And I know it wasn't his fault. Listen, the the defense let him down, and the 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 offensive play calling was just horrendous in that third and fourth quarter. Um, but that that takes a, that's, it takes a toll on the team for sure. So lots of great chatter, tons of tons of good quarterbacks. Listen, we there's going to be some more up and comers. We we haven't even talked about the rookies that that in two years from now we could uh, this could be a whole new conversation. Yep, with who who our top five are, and that's why it's current, and that's why it's fun to banter and, and dig back and forth. Uh, ultimately, there's no right answer on who's number one. Fantasy is a whole different ball game. Listen, I had Patty Mahomes last year. I got ribbed by the boys. I I got ribbed by the boys for taking him when I took him, but um, I got the last laugh uh, for the most part because uh, he was the number one fantasy guy last year. A hundred percent. And and what we we haven't even talked about is. A guy who was two or three plays away from from being the Super Bowl quarterback, and maybe maybe Patrick Mahomes isn't ranked number one on our list, and maybe Jimmy Garoppolo's not eleven on my list. Maybe he's six or seven or mm-hmm. five, mm-hmm. right? If he finishes that Super Bowl off, and Tyreek Hill doesn't make the catch on the helmet, and thirty-five yards down the field, and that game isn't changed, just the same way that Atlanta game was changed. So you're right that you know it's it's a, that's why we do these. 
these chats and these lists so we can go back and take a look at it and and reevaluate it down the uh, down the road. But we're excited. Next week uh, we'll be back on here with some NFL ch- chat. We'll be setting up uh, the coming season. Looks like it's going to be a go. And uh, we'll be excited to break down week one for our listeners and, and take a look at uh, the schedule and some actual games instead of uh, some lists. So nice little chatter. Don't be afraid to uh, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram about our list. We want to hear uh, who you got on your list and who you uh, think should be in the top five and who you didn't like who was in our top five. And we're also, before we before I let you sign off here, we should also uh, let our listeners know that we're going to put on um, our semifinals uh, picks for the NHL because we're about to close that down right now. It looks like Tampa Bay is going to take it down tonight. Uh, you've got some series ending, so before we do our next podcast, we'll throw something out so our listeners know who we have. Um, when it comes to that, okay? Dutch, you could be in trouble here, buddy. You might be two games down here. Yeah, I know, I know. Going into this final, the old ginger might just snag you here. But um, closing off, special thanks to uh, David Hearn for a fantastic interview joining us. Thanks very much. Uh, it was a pleasure to have David on. Absolute, absolute honor to interview him. Special thanks to, special thanks to all of our sponsors, Maui Jim, Callaway Golf. Thank you very much for that. Dutch, as we always do on the Ginger and Dutch podcast, close us off with some closing thoughts. I don't have much to say except it was it was an honor to to, to get somebody that's current in the uh, in our business. Uh, even though we're golf professionals and not a professional golfer, it was nice to hear from the other side. And uh, another good episode. I'm happy to be back. Um, let's end it. It was a good episode. Thanks for tuning in for the Ginger and Dutch podcast. Make sure you're following us on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, signing off. I'm Ginger, and I'm Dutch.